0: will the man said, We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. And then he said, We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. Conversation of what it means to be made in the image of God, and to really believe the first judgment that God makes about humanity of very good, and what it means to be always, continually, and ever in a process of becoming exactly what it means to be human being, to be a human being. I want to welcome you to our new episode here. We have a great guest that I'm going to show with you today. It's my one of my favorite poets uh, online right now. Her name is L.L. Bar Cat. She is unique. She has just a calm, humble, generous, sweet spirit. And I'm grateful that she was able to sit down and have an interview with me and share some some of her thoughts on art and writing and being an entrepreneur and her daughters becoming poets and all of the different ins and outs that she was willing to share with me and she even closes out closes closes out the interview with sharing a a, a beautiful little poem uh, that just transcends Her poetry just transcends, you know, the everyday into something beautiful. And so she shares a little poem about almonds at the end that I think you'll really enjoy. I want to encourage you, while I've got your attention, to head on over to our Facebook page and like us so that we can get a custom URL for the Facebook page. You can link you can find the link here on the website. Just click on it. Click on the like button if you do indeed like us. Follow along because we get we're gonna get some conversation going on there. Speaking of conversation, please send in your emails to wearebecoming at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at WeAreBecoming. Or check out the blog here leave some comments. www.becomingprocess.blogspot.com Subscribe on iTunes up there at the top of the blog there. Love to get your voice in on the conversation. Speaking of conversation, I'd love to hear from you, since my guest for this podcast is a poet. I'd love to hear your favorite poem. Or if you've written a poem, I'd love to hear you share your poem with us. You can call me on Skype uh, Stoffer on Skype. You can find me on there. Leave me a call. Leave me a message. I can take messages. Reciting your poem. and We'll get it up here on the podcast, on the very next podcast, to share your poetry with others. Or you can send an email and I'll read it on the next podcast and share your poetry with others. Or you can just send a copy of somebody else's poetry that you really enjoy I'd love to share it with my listeners so please share a bit of your life that way with us if you're an artist love to read your poems if you've been inspired by an artist love to read uh, or share whatever it might be that has inspired you and so without further ado it is my great pleasure to introduce you to our my interview with L.L. Barcat Stay tuned right afterwards for how you can find some of her work online. Thank you very much. So, New York City, so you're writing the hubbub of everything, huh?
1: I am, I am. Um, <laughs>
0: Did you grow up in New York City?
1: I grew up in upstate New York, middle of nowhere.
0: Middle of nowhere.
1: Really, middle of nowhere. I think it's I think it's what kind of saved me in a way. Because um, I, I don't know if you know anything about my background from some of the other writing. But uh, it was difficult. And so my sister and I spent a lot of time playing in the creek, <laughs> and just be, you know, just being outside, and I think that was, that was really a godsend. Sure. Honestly.
0: So, can you, can you share with us a little bit of your background? Oh. You don't need to be really You mean, real you mean
1: the, no, you mean <laughs> the difficult, the difficult stuff, the childhood? Sure. Well, so I have, uh, the book Stone Crossings is a, uh, it's um, it's on the topic of grace, but it's really held together with memoir from my childhood and then kind of up into adulthood, and so that just kind of tells the story of my mother's marriage to a man who, actually, now she thinks maybe he was bipolar, but he had also been in World War II, mm-hmm. and you know what that can do to a person's mind, um, and so he was he was pretty difficult. <laughs> it was a pretty violent atmosphere. He, he never hit us. I can't, you know, I'm not saying that. Um, but the mental abuse was pretty severe. Yeah. And, um, and you know, but like I said, there was, the balance was that I had this incredible outdoor world that my sister and I lived in pretty much every day of our lives. Yeah. And the beauty of that was just a striking difference and kind of i think kept me connected to the, to the world and to life in a really important way um, and so my you know my parents whatever I, I would say okay the simple story is my father's been married five times my mother three and between the two of them i have 18 siblings oh, oh. so there you go there you go
0: <laughs> did you okay. as part of your as part of growing up too and then maybe even as since the outdoor world was kind of your uh, d- escape a little bit or did you, mm. have you always been poetic or into poetry or was that <laughs> developed over time? Oh, I love that. <laughs>
1: I would love to think that I've always been poetic.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just, um, I'll i say this. I never wanted to be a writer and, but, but really kind of my whole life people sort of followed me around uh, looking for my words Um, And so even though I purposed to be other things along the way, I I think eventually this was going to be inevitable because it is always what people asked of me. You know, whether it was, can you write a devotional for so-and-so's, you know, this party or that shower or whatever it was, Um, and eventually getting into speaking. And then from the speaking, people saying, would you write a book? And I said, Oh, are you kidding? No, I'm not going to write a book. And, you know, again, it was just all kind of followed me around. The poetic part, I always loved reading poetry. Um, my mom used to read poetry to us every single day um, while we were waiting for the bus to come. And I still remember it was not the best poetry book. It was that big, fat purple, uh, best love poems of the American people. <laughs> and there's some really, you know, folksy, folksy poetry in there, but there's also, there's also a lot of form poetry in there um, and just some stuff that I think really introduces children to the world of poetry. So there are a lot of narrative poems, and I can remember just weeping at her side over, you know, the African chief, which was this mm. kind of well, for a kid, a longish narrative poem about a man who was, you know, taken from Africa and brought to the U.S. And,
2: yeah.
1: And, yeah, that one. And then, then there was another one about this woman, um, what was she called, Charlotte T., I think. And uh, she, went, she was very vain and she didn't want to wear a big fur coat, so she wore this little lace shawl or something. Or her bow took her to the party. And by the time they got there, she was frozen to death. You know, and the tears, I think the tears were like frozen on her face. It was very dramatic, you know. But, oh. <laughs> but we, but my sister and I were, were wrapped. You know, we just would sit there and listen and cry over the poetry. So, I don't mm. know. Anyway, I don't think that's foundational. That's why I read a lot of poetry to my own children now.
0: Absolutely. Do you still find uh, traces of that in your own uh, poetry when you're writing? Do you, how, how the drama? Na- yeah, the drama and the narrative, Is that, <laughs> does that show up?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. I try not to be overly dramatic. I find that to be heavy handed and it's not my favorite kind of poetry as an adult. Um, I really love, I do love a, kind of a narrative um, in the sense that I feel like every poem whether or not it um, really clearly tells a story or not. I feel like every poem needs to be telling some kind of story, that there is some kind of narrative that needs to be happening in a poem, um, even if it doesn't take that exact form at the, at the structure level. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say from that standpoint, yes, there's always a narrative okay. in my okay. poetry.
0: Does your poetry kind of build off of each other, too, in some of your books? So, like, does the overall book present a story?
1: Well, inside-out poems, mm-hmm. um, I would say that there's a fairly strong thread in that because I, what I did was when I was putting together my other book, God in the Yard, and I went back through all these journals and, you know, a year's worth of journals, and pulled out just all these little things. And I said, these are poems. I don't want to lose these. And so many of the poems in Inside Out ended up being these little stories that were part of the bigger story of God in the art. And so that, yeah, they definitely are connected. Um, And then I would say that whenever you write poetry within a certain period of your life there's going to be a narrative that connects that
2: mm-hmm.
1: even if you're not really aware of it because right. you're sort of in a certain frame of mind maybe for a year or two
0: Yeah, maybe in a season of life or
1: yeah, a season in fact if I, if I ever get around to doing another volume people have been asking we want another one <laughs> um, I thought it's going to be so different from inside out um, because yeah, it's kind of a different season. All right. But,
0: yeah. yeah. I noticed in one of your interviews, you know, everyone, I, I, I read a couple of them, and it seems like in most of them, they mention how you seem to do so much. And so I want to <laughs> avoid, I wanna avoid oh. that question, but one of your answers did intrigue me. You said that, they asked you, so what do you call yourself? Are you a writer? Are you a blogger? Mm. Or are you?" And you said, I'm a participator. What is participant,
1: a participant? Right. Yeah. As, what
0: What does that mean?
1: You know, the people from Christianity today asked me that
0: too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in
1: a follow up email, we just want to make sure we understand what you mean by participant. And you know, I said, well, in that context, anyway, what I we were talking about spiritual practice,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was very concerned, really, that. Spiritual practice—the whole idea of it—seems to have reached this fever pitch in our mm. Christian culture. To the point where, if you're not practicing something and telling it to the world, then maybe you're not a Christian. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, or you're just not. Your spiritual life is somehow bereft. And I just—I find that viewpoint at this point to have become fairly oppressive. Because I think as I watch it happening, and I look at the number of books, and of course my book is about spiritual practice too. So people people have said, "Why'd you write it?" I said, "Well, because I want to present a different viewpoint." Um, but I, I look at the burden that it places on people, and it um, it makes me sad um, because when I when I think about spiritual practice, I don't think about it as this thing where you practice towards perfection you know, even though there's some argument for that in the Bible, I see the festivals of the Old Testament and even many like the communion service of the New Testament, it's it's a way that we participate in the life of God. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not supposed to be this this edu- this schooling-type experience. It's participation, it's celebration. So anyway, I would say long answer to your question, that is how I function not only in terms of spiritual practice, but also the rest of my life. So the way I I home educate my children, and I very much take that kind of um, view to educating them as well. Um, I just want them to participate in life. (laughs) So um,
0: So when you do sit down to to write. I mean, do you have a do you set aside time? I know some people do that. They set aside
1: no. you know, two
0: hours a day or
1: right. Those people do that, yes. <laughs> 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 um I well first of all, because I have um because I home educate and I, I'm constantly, you know, I have responsibilities towards my children and they interrupt me a lot. I I have pretty much become a person who, who just writes, catches catch can, you know. Um, that is just what I do now. My husband also has been good enough to take them out on Saturdays, but he also travels a good deal. So you know, maybe depending on the year, sixty to ninety days a year. So I can't really count on the Saturdays anymore. <laughs> So, you know, I just, um, a a lot of, actually a lot of the times when I write, particularly my poetry, happens when I'm reading. Oh, okay. So the other day, for instance, I just posted a poem on my blog. I was reading this poem by, um, Lee Young Lee, and I got about one stanza in, and I said, huh, and I put the poem aside, and I wrote a poem in response to his poem, and then went back and read the rest of his poem which you know then answered a the question i asked him in mine um mm. that's usually you know, where it comes
0: from that's that's great you know that that actually makes me think of your uh, you have a twitter beat or no you call it tweet poetry instead of beat poetry which is people, <laughs> <and> you, <laughs> that's wonderful you put, wonderful. A, <laughs> you put a, so- a line out there and people play off of it and and yeah. so that reminded me of that because you're actually even then when you were writing you were writing in community because you were writing in communion yeah. with uh, the lee there um yeah. is mm-hmm. would you say that that's the case with almost all i mean all creativity creative work if we even even if we don't recognize it we are writing in community
1: well yes i would say yes and and You are also right, though, in saying there there are certainly people who do not experience it that way, and who think that they are, um, you know, kind of unilaterally inspired. Um, And the interesting thing about that is, I think those people tend to come at the entire creative world a little bit differently too, where they they tend to criticize others, they tend to be in competition with others, not necessarily seeing their inextricable links to the art community. Um, now, I'm not trying to set myself up as no, no, no. <laughs> martyr in the other direction, but I'm just saying that, you know, I think it's worth it for any artist, you know, writer, poet, to really sit back and acknowledge that, not, that even when they feel entirely alone, they are writing in community i love i love that what you said
0: do you ever have a moment where you're you're working on poetry and 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 i'm not a poet by any sense or Mm. really even that great of a writer but i do like to write and Mm. and when i sit down i have to always fight the urge to correct myself i guess does that make sense and do you ever Mm -hmm. find that
1: you mean when I'm writing a, like a first draft or something? Sure, or? yeah,
0: yeah. Or, you know, just a, like sometimes when I'm writing, I'm like, well, maybe I need to doctor that up to make it sound prettier or mm-hmm. nicer, those kind of things.
1: Kind of an inner censor. Yeah. Um, I think when, yeah, maybe when I was younger, I did more of that. I would sit there and, you know, I couldn't get more than a paragraph. In and I'd be changing the first sentence. (laughs) But writing books cured me of that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because you'll never get it done.
1: (laughs) You will never get it done. And there are people who spend 20 years never getting it done. And, And at some point in the book writing process, it just really occurred to me, you know what, there... There is a point at which it is good enough, and this is a season of your life. And, yes, I can look back at earlier writings and sometimes kind of cringe, like, oh, yeah, I can't believe I said this in that way. But, you know, there's also a beauty about it. It's like, well, that's who I was then. And that kind of holds that place in time. Um, And I I think when you begin to see that your work is a life's work, you can start to let some of that go. You can just, you know, get it to the point where it's good enough and realize that next year when you approach a similar task, your level of good enough is going to be a little bit higher and that's okay. You're still going to experience the same thing, but let it go. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah and I ask that because one of my <clears throat> one of my influences is a lady named Brenda Uland. I don't know if you know. no her work, but she wrote a book called If You Want to Write. I mean, it was written back in the 30s, mm-hmm. or something like that, But and, and I think she's passed away, but in mm-hmm. it, she just talks about, first of all, when she says writing, she means anything that you throw yourself into, you know, so for mm-hmm. her, it's writing, but it can be anything. And that you, the whole goal really should be to speak from your true self, not what you think other people want to hear, and not what mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. you're expecting will sell, I guess, It's the is the word. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Well, <laughs> and of course, the, the thing with that is if, if, if you do that, you can't necessarily be expected to sell <laughs> what you write. And that's fine, too. And we don't all need to sell what we write. Um, yeah. And I have to say there are many times where when I'm writing, I know instinctively if I could just say this and say it in this way, it would. this would be more commercially successful sure and I cannot bring myself to do it I just I just can't <laughs> yep. so there you have it <laughs> you know but but I think doing things like the, the you, you brought up the Twitter poetry
2: uh-huh. doing mm-hmm. things
1: like that that will free you up if you really let yourself get into it it will free you up because you can't take the time to stop and think you just have to participate
0: who has shaped your life in terms of as a poet and then also just as a human being in terms of writing and
1: you you mean sort of a another another writer, you're thinking? Yeah, yeah,
0: other other writers other that have writer. influenced you, other poets.
1: I am I am so taken with just anything that's good and so now I know that people have different opinions on that. And so for me like I you know, I feel bad saying this, but I never got through Beowulf, for instance. Even, and, you know, all my lit major friends sitting around me, ooing and aahing over this poem, I said, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so, you know, for me, it's anything from Peter Rabbit, which is wonderful language for children, to Walt Whitman, which is wonderful language. For children and adults except the themes are too adult for children um mm. but so so i cannot i cannot pinpoint really any particular writer sure you know it's just anything that was has been wonderful and there's been a lot that's been wonderful
0: yeah uh, what what are you reading right now that's Catching your fancy. <laughs>
1: what am I reading right now? I am actually reading Agnes de Mille of all things. Um, <laughs> I I am on an art pilgrimage that I kind of declared two years ago, and after the first year, when I had done visual art, I decided to do dance for the second year. Um, kind of started injuring myself this because I'd been ill and lost my flexibility and I tried tried to go back to the dance and it wasn't really working out so I just expressed this recently online saying you know I have to take two steps back and I can't dance right now and someone said oh well while you're kind of convalescing <laughs> you should read Agnes DeMille and who's a dancer um, who was a dancer so... I you know I kind of I said, well, okay, good, so I picked up a few things at the library, and I'm loving it she's she's marvelous um, mm. and that's what I mean about I'll read anything good <laughs> I
2: yeah.
1: just, you know it doesn't matter if it fits into some program necessarily yeah. um, that's what i'm I'm reading that and and honestly I you know I'm really glad that you don't have a video camera here because. <laughs> The side of my bed, there are at least 30 books, maybe more, and it's everything. There's a history of art that I'm reading Mm. and a bunch of poetry books, and I'm reading Home by, what's his name, Bill Bryson, at Home, Mm. sorry, by Bill Bryson, which is wonderful.
0: Mm. Have you ever participated in... um, classes where you teach others writing or help them facilitate writing or anything like that?
1: Well, I was an English teacher, if that counts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do that for very long though. Um, the particular season in my life, um, I, uh, I just realized that it was not going to coincide well with family life
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because of the, the grading process. And I was mm-hmm. at a really high, I was at a very high level school and i i had to i had to stop that <laughs> so it, wasn't, it was it just wasn't going to work out so mm.
0: are your, you you mentioned you have children
1: mhm
0: are they do they work on poetry
1: oh my goodness they do they are so you know because they're home educated they get to see my my little habits Right. So they, mm-hmm. they saw when I went outside and sat outside every day for a year, and so they emulated that for, for a little while. They see me writing poetry, so they emulate that. They're both actually really good poets in their, in their own right, and each of them, they, they have a poem in my book, Inside Out, and that was International Arts Movement. That was their, their idea,
2: Oh, awesome.
1: They, they, yeah, they had seen the girls' poetry, and they said, would you be willing to put in one from each of your girls? And I said, sure, I mean, it's a wonderful idea. So, and interestingly, they, they really are a microcosm of the rest of the world in the sense that my one daughter, she writes out of some kind of well of internal rhythm, mm-hmm. and my other daughter um, writes when she has form. That she can speak into. So she thought that she was not a poet like the younger one. And then she grabs what book was it? Um, not Hirsch's How to Read a Poem. Oh, the Norton Anthology. She grabbed the Norton Anthology of Poetry and started reading about form poetry. And before I knew it, she was writing villanelles, pantoums, sestinas, sonnets. I oh my goodness. <laughs> But it, it opened, yeah. The the form enabled her to be a poet. So if you think you're not a poet, don't give up. You may be approaching it from the wrong angle.
0: Right. Okay. So you're kind of finding the personality that are suited to a different kind of poem, right. maybe. Right. So
1: if you've been trying to write sonnets and you think you're terrible because you can't write sonnets, well, maybe you need to, you know, kind of go off and leave you know, get outside of of form. And if you've been trying to write outside of form and you think, I just can't do this, I have nothing to say, find a form and try and write it see what happens.
0: Because there's a a real art to that too, you know, fitting what you want to say to a a specific form. There's
1: an art to it, but interestingly enough, for some people it opens them. I, I don't know why. So you would think it would be more of a challenge but for some people, it's less of a challenge to have a form.
0: Yeah, it's, it's freeing to have that form. Now, speaking of other forms, beyond writing, do you participate in other forms of art?
1: Well, like I mentioned, um, I started that art pilgrimage two years ago. I used to be a visual artist, specifically in—I I was a commercial artist. Um, I, I went to Paris and I saw all the great arts of the world, and I came home and I said, I don't want to be an artist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally changed careers within a matter of months. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, so I, I have done visual art. Um, now I mostly appreciate others who do it. Um, <laughs> and like I told you, I've, I tried dance this year.
2: Dancing? Specifically
1: mm-hmm. ballet. Um, I, I'm you know, a little past the time when one can easily do this <laughs> this okay. kind of dance. And uh, it's been an interesting experience. Um, I have a lot, a lot of respect, not like I didn't used to have a lot of respect for, but I have a, really a renewed kind of respect for people who do dance um, now that I've tried to do it myself myself. Um, I don't know. What else? Well, next year will be music, and the following year, if I get brave, I will do theater arts and so, oh. So then I could say, "Yes, Cody, I do it all." <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've done it all.
1: <laughs> not necessarily well, but
0: <laughs> hey, at least you've tried.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's funny. Yeah. Um, do you so now I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the high calling. Mm. What's you're a managing editor yes. there, is that? Mm-hmm. Correct. So, what is the high calling, and, and how does this fit into your your uh, your personality and who you are?
1: Okay. So, the high calling is actually I started with them when they were high calling blogs, and so they were a network of bloggers and also people on Twitter and Facebook, um, and it was um, really like this, almost like this arts community online. Um, just writing what's real. And I was very drawn to that, and so I started volunteering for them. And I volunteered for two years, actually, just really having a lot of fun. And then the sites merged. They had a sister site called the thehighcalling.org, which is now what we're called. We're solely called thehighcalling.org. And, um, and at that point, I became a paid consultant with sound, so my, my role was solidified. Um, you asked me, what? how does it fit my personality? Is that too sad?
0: Yeah like, yeah, like, how do you, uh, so I'm thinking poetry, art, and then here's the high calling, and it's about conversations about work, life, and God. Right, so,
1: right.
0: And, and then I noticed on your bio on it that it, you're a lover of business books, too, so I'm trying to... <laughs> But right. Together.
1: So I really, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My grandmother, actually, my grandmother was an entrepreneur. She had um, several different businesses throughout her life. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. And um, actually, my father's grandfather, I should say. And then my father has been and still is an entrepreneur. So this kind of Endeavor fits in very well with, the, you know, my family upbringing and, and just the way I've functioned for a long time, too. So you have to, if you're going to work off-site, you have to be very focused on your tasks without someone standing over your shoulder. Um, and, and I am. Uh, and I love, I do love business. I find it fascinating to you know to figure out how to do it, how to promote it. and of course online is its own new world and very interesting. So that completely fits with my personality because I love I always love being on the cutting edge of things. It's yeah. a pioneer.
0: Are you? Yeah, you, you seem to be <laughs> right out there pioneering some some stuff here. Uh, I mentioned I, I see a, a few. Overtones too in your stuff with some uh, maybe uh, uh, eco. Is that, is that would that be the world the word or gardening or oh, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff? Are you? Well, that's kind of something you do at Green Invention Central. Is <laughs> a
1: I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you saw. Maybe not. Recently, I wrote a piece called Ten Acre Dream," and at first it was published at the Curator, is International Arts Movement, and then later I reprinted it at the High Calling. And it kind of puts to bed my dream of being this farmer lady because, as I say in the end, you know, if only I could find the farmerly grandmother gene that I seem to have misplaced, <laughs> you know, maybe I could, you know, feed people with my skills. I I am a terrible gardener, Cody. I I. I, I I love it. My grandmother single-handedly farmed 10 acres of suburban land. Mm. I can't even seem to grow tomatoes on less than a quarter of an acre here. So <laughs> <laughs> I am just, well, I am formed for other things, let's say. <laughs> and there,
0: you <laughs> and there you go. Absolutely. absolutely. I don't do it all. <laughs> there you go. But you again, you've tried.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. One thing too, uh, and I understand this is part of the LL Barcat character you're you're creating—not <laughs> character, but who you are. But but um, there's no uh, nowhere. I've looked everywhere. There's not a picture of you anywhere.
1: Yeah. Well, there there are, <laughs> there, there are a few tucked away in some secret secret places. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know how that started, really. But then once it did, it seemed like such a great way to go. You know, people focusing more on my words. Um, yep. And, of course, you know, it's kind of fun. There's this little mystique um, associated. I, I don't know. I, like I said, there are now a few pictures floating around. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: that's okay i didn't i didn't look super hard i just i was kind of looking a little bit and when i realized yeah and then i realized you know what if i do find one i'm not i don't want to use it anyway because i want to keep the (laughs) mystique going
1: (laughs) well and i've asked i've i've specifically asked people you know if you photograph me please please do not post it it is not something that i do um and like i said there are a few i think once when i was at uh the Jubilee Conference. Uh, there was a picture of me. Now it's gone. They.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> <but>, uh, anyway.
0: <laughs> how often do you get to connect with people uh, if, in these communities that are online? Have you? How often do you get to connect offline with them?
1: Oh, in person. Um, well, let's see. First of all, I know a lot of people. They. The people that they know online are actually people they know in life. You know, their friends or family will read their blog. I don't happen to be one of those people for some reason. Um, So I get to see people, well, at least once a year when I meet up with my my team in Texas. Um, This past fall, we all met one another at at a retreat. And I see people around. I'm going to the International Arts Movement Conference in March, and I plan to meet uh, Tom Turner, who is uh, online. He's Everyday Liturgy, and he does Generate magazine, mm-hmm. um, and he writes for Curator. Which I'm, I'm going to meet him for the first time. Um, oh, cool. So conferences give me that opportunity.
0: Okay, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, before we wrap up, I, I should have mentioned this in email to ask you, but do you have any, a piece right there handy that you wouldn't mind reading, or is that going to be too hard? Oh, a
1: piece of my own? Of my own? Yes. Um, I don't have a piece right here, but I, okay. I have, I think I have one in my head. One of, okay. one of my favorites. If I get it wrong, then that's okay, right? <laughs> it's a, yeah, short, it's yours, it's a so. short one. It's called Almonds. Like, you know, the kind you eat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Almonds. I remember the scent and how you crushed them. Brown skins turned to dust, scattered like spilled cinnamon. That's it.
0: There you go. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you very you're
1: much. You're welcome.
0: And thanks for sitting down and talking with me. I really appreciate I it.
2: There's something in your mind you cannot hide. You can try, you can try everything, you'll be high in the end. But there's something on your cheek that's blowing like a creek. Are there tears, are there tears, or just dying memories? You keep doing what you do. The Stolen thief. We'll keep seeing What you say We we'll remember remembered everywhere we we'll be the Stolen
0: Was my interview with LL L. Barcat. I want to thank her once again. I told you she was great. She was a terrific guest, and I just love her spirit. You can check out some of her work online. You can go to www.llbarcat.com. That's L L B A R K A T, all one word.com. She's written several works. You can find some of her, her work, uh, she's got, she's written God in the Yard, Spiritual Practice for the Rest of Us, which kind of chronicles her, which she kind of alluded to there, her one year of daily outdoor solitude. She's also written Inside Out, which is a collection of poems. She's also written Stone Crossings, Finding Grace in Hard and Hidden Places which is kind of her spiritual memoir and get ready for this she also blogs at seedlingsinstone.blogspot.com which is kind of her signature blog on writing art spirituality life that's where you'll kind of see uh, a lot of her her work in terms of art and poetry writing she gives tips things like that she also blogs at StoneCrossings.blogspot.com, which is a place for her to, for you to uh, look at some excerpts and, and find interviews, reviews, readings, and things like that she's done. You can also find her blogging at GreenInventionCentral.blogspot.com. GreenInventionsCentral.blogspot.com. And that is where she talks about stewardship and health. You can also check out her work at blogspot.com. It's kind of a blog where she keeps her prayers and her devotions. And also, of course, she writes for thehighcalling.org. She's a managing editor, editor there. And you can also find her work at The Curator, where she's a contributing uh, staff uh, staff reporter or staff writer for the uh, International Arts Movement and their magazine or their collection, the Curator, and you can also find her at tweetspeakepoetry.com, which is actually kind of a we I think we talk about a little bit there, kind of a Twitter beat poetry kind of gathering where people, anyone who's following and participating uh, can follow along and contribute some lines to some poetry and they do it all together um, and they put up schedules and stuff where you can do that. So all of those ways you can check her out. She's a very busy person, has a lot of stuff that she, she does and does well. So thank, my thanks to her once again for joining us and taking the time to sit down for an interview and share a bit of her heart and soul with us. And please go check out her work and read and comment let her know what you think of her fantastic uh, artwork. Thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for joining us and listening to our, uh, our episode here of Becoming Who We Are with L.L. Barcat. I want to encourage you once again to check us out on the Facebook page. Like us so that we can get our custom URL. Share us with your friends too. and Make sure you, you download and pass along any of these great interviews. Uh, I've been blessed to have some terrific guests. And so I thank all of them very much for contributing. And please, once again, also share your poetry with us in any form you'd like to. Maybe you'd like to send me an audio clip of some kind or just write in some poetry i'd love to feature it on here and share it with others thank you so much and remember the life is change growth is optional choose wisely
2: sing a song